Come on now. I'm so glad I'm a part of a church whose identity does not rise and fall on how the football team did. So if you've got something in you that's a little downcast today, say, why so downcast, oh my soul? Put your hope in God. Amen? When I was in seminary, I was uh, on staff at a church uh, outside of Dallas. It was the First Baptist Church of a county seat town. Uh, Literally, if we were not done by 1130, people were walking out to go watch or go attend the Cowboy game. And uh, back then, we had a Sunday morning service and a Sunday night service. And um, God forbid the Cowboys lost because the Sunday night service was horrible. And I used to joke with my brother, you know, it's really, it is really sad when a dead church gets depressed. Um, It's really bad. That's when things go really low. We're not of that people, right? (laughs) On that note, turn to Lamentations chapter 1. Lamentations chapters 1 and 2. You know, back uh, when we started Fullness, I dreamed of, um, well, first of all, I dreamed of having 20 people rather than 10. Um, But um, one of the things I felt like God was leading me to do was to try, as long as he would allow me to preach, to eventually preach through all the books of the Bible in some way. And so now I'm down to books like Lamentations and Leviticus, and so you still got that to look forward to in the next couple of years. We are going to at some point look at Leviticus together, so yeah. Um, but now we're talking about this book of Lamentations. There's a sculpture uh, that sits in the Philadelphia, Pennsylvania Academy of Fine Arts, Uh, It's of a queen. Her face is downcast. There's a frown on her face. She leans over onto the the arm of her throne. Um, Probably can't see it very well, but in, in the back of her is desolation, just rocks and crumbling. And there's something about her visage that is that is depressed. It's mournful. It's sad. It's by an artist who entitled this The Desolation of Jerusalem. It's based on the book of Lamentations and the idea that Jerusalem was a queen. A queen who was born of common means. A queen who had no right to be a queen. A queen who was elevated because God elevated her. And then, because of the sin in her own heart, she gave herself to other lovers. Her heart was turned away from the one who installed her as queen. And she had affairs with many others. And as a result, the one who installed her as queen has removed her, has broken all that is around her. As our lead-in video said, that happened in 586 B.C. God uses the Babylonians, it's clear, 
from what we're going to look at, God uses the Babylonians to come in, to lay siege to the city of Jerusalem, to starve the city of Jerusalem, to, to really destroy the city of Jerusalem, its walls, burn its temple, burn its houses, the people that are left because many are carried off into exile. Daniel to Babylon, the capital. Men like Ezekiel to really labor camps and other places. Those that are left are left in the middle of just utter desolation. The fields have been burned. The crops are destroyed. The very presence of God, the temple itself is now gone. They sit there and this book of five chapters following Jeremiah, probably written by Jeremiah, sits as a marker of a broken people. It's a sad book. It is a tough book to read. As I said last week, and I'll try not to re-preach last week, but as I said last week, these five chapters are brilliantly written. The first two chapters and the fourth and the fifth chapter are acrostics in the Hebrew alphabet, chapter one and then chapter two. There's an interlude in chapter three, then chapter four and five. Uh, the way we don't get it in the English language, um, but it's there. It's beautiful and sad and horrible all at the same time. Last week, I talked about how our journey of lament, and a lament is this cry from the heart. It's the language of the people of God who are broken, who are crying out to him in their brokenness. To really journey through, we have to begin with a picture of the righteousness of God. If we think we're right, then our lament will never get to the heart of the issue. We have to begin with God is holy, God is righteous, God is perfect. We then journey on to believe in his sovereignty. That in spite of what we may see around us, in faith we believe that God is still in control. And ultimately land on the only place we can where we step back and behold the mercy of God. The book of Lamentations is clear in this one thing, that what has happened to the people has been done to them by themselves. They don't have anyone to blame but themselves, which is a hard place to be, is it not? To say, the brokenness that I'm experiencing now was done to me by me. We can look at the world and the Babylonians and even God and say, God did this or the Babylonians did this. But in ultimate reality, there's a, there's a language in lament that says, I did this. Here's how it's painted in Lamentations, just a couple of verses. Chapter 1, verse 5, says her foes, and this is that Queen uh, Jerusalem, Judah analogy, her foes have become her masters. Her enemies are at ease. 
The Lord has brought her grief because of her many sins. Her children have gone into exile captive before the foe. In verses 8 and 9, same chapter, chapter 1, Jerusalem has what? Sinned, and not sinned a little bit. Has sinned greatly, and so has become unclean. All who honored her despise her, for they have seen her nakedness. She herself groans and turns away. Her filthiness clung to her skirts. Very graphic language to say. Not only is she sinned, but her sin is evident to everyone. She did not consider her future. In verse 18 of chapter 1, the Lord is righteous, yet I rebelled against his command. Verse 20, see, O Lord, how distressed I am. I am in torment within, and in my heart I am disturbed, for I have been most rebellious. Outside the sword bereaves, inside there is only death. Clearly in chapter 1 and then in chapter 2, the lamenter, Jeremiah, or whoever authored it is picturing this truth. We did this to us. I did this to me. We must be cognizant of the truth that God will not be deceived. A man reaps what he sows. There's a poem by Kipling. It's called Natural Theology. I don't agree with the whole poem by any means, but there's this one section of it says this, as was the sowing, so the reaping is now and evermore shall be. Thou art delivered to thine own keeping, only thyself hath afflicted thee. This idea that what has been done, we've done to ourselves. What is the, what is the value, so to speak, in brokenness? If we believe that God is a righteous God and a sovereign God and his mercy is new, then in brokenness there must be some value to what he wants to do in our lives. Let me say this as I lead into this section. If you come from a background where the prosperity doctrine has been proclaimed to you, Lamentations is the book that stands in stark opposition in the fact that there is value in brokenness. There is some value in going through this dark night of the soul. Now, whether it was done to me or by me, there's still a value. And I want to say that my list of the value of brokenness is not complete. It is not comp- There's no way I could talk about sin and brokenness in a just complete picture today. I know there is many different situations in this room as there are people sitting here. 
But from the book of Lamentations, I do think there are a couple of pointers that probably apply in some way to all of us. And so I want to look at that understanding, please, that this list is not complete and you can find an outlier in your life or value. But hear this for what it is. What is the value in this whole concept of brokenness? The first thing is this. Brokenness breaks us out of our slumber. Brokenness, pain, is like this alarm clock that goes off in a sleeping soul that wakes us up where we would just be going through the motions and continuing on if something didn't intercede. There was a time where we had a, a young lady from our church who was working for us who uh, was living at our house. We had invited her in for a couple of months as she was in between places. <laughs> she had three alarm clocks. One at one place, one middle of the room, and one in the far corner of the room. Alarm goes off, hits it, back in bed. Gets up, hits the middle one, back in bed. Gets up, hits the far one, back in bed. Now, before she lived with us, I wondered why she was always late to work. When she came to live with us, I understood that what she needed was a bat and someone to hit her with it, to wake her up, to get her going and to work. Some of us are like that. We need a bat to wake us up inwardly. And it is what brokenness will do for us. It will wake us up. Pain has that effect on our lives, does it not? To call to our attention what's going on around us. Do you remember the story of David? David sinned by having an affair with a married woman who got pregnant. He then killed her husband or had her husband killed. Then he took her mover into his house. How was David after he finished this whole endeavor? Hey, he's fine. I mean, really, if you look at him, he said, I, I got away with this. I'm moving forward in my life. Everything is good. Nobody's the wiser. He had an affair, got a woman pregnant. He pre this is more than an affair. He probably sexually assaulted her. Had an affair, got her pregnant, murdered her husband, moved her into his house, and is now pretending. And he seems fine with it. Till a prophet, Nathan, walks in, tells him a story, gets him stirred up, and then Nathan says, Thou art the man. His whole world crumbles. This facade, this sleepiness, this slumber falls off of him. And he, and he confesses in Psalm 32, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Where was God in all of this? 
He brought Nathan in. He, he broke David. And without the breaking, I don't think there would have ever been the acknowledgement he would not have woken up. For many of us, we look at the pain of brokenness and say, why? And could it be that possibly it was what God needed to do in our lives in order to bring us to a place of saying, I sinned? When my, one of my sons was in middle school, he had started public school. and I, Listen, I, I make no um, challenges about which is better, homeschool, private school, Christian private school, public school. Listen, do what God leads you to do. Let me just say that at the outset. Do what God is leading you and your family family to do. Um, we've done all of the above. If you want to talk to a family who's covered every single form of schooling known to mankind, come to talk to me and Kathy. But at this point, uh, we had put one of our sons in public school, mainly because of athletics, and um, he was trying to make friends and said, hey, Dad, a group of our friends are going across the street to see a movie. Could I go with these, these friends to see this movie? And I'm, you know, we're pretty, okay, we're intrusive parents, so however you want to call it. So I said, yes, I'll take you over there, get the ticket, blah, 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 and then you can go to the movie with your friends. It was some PG movie, G movie about a dog and his buddies or something. I don't know what it was, what the movie was. So, go over, buy, I bought him the ticket. Got the ticket. He was going in the movies. I go home. I call, he calls me when it's time to pick him up. I go pick him up, bring him home. You know, probably 30 minutes later or so, I'm walking up the stairs. Now, my boys are living in the basement. He's downstairs. I'm walking up the stairs, and I see this piece of paper lying on the stairs going up. So I lean over. I pick up the piece of paper, and it's a ticket stub. And the ticket stub says the boogeyman, rated R, which is evidently a horror movie. And I'm looking at this ticket stub, and I, I realize he went to another movie. Now, I'm not that slow. I quickly got a hold of it, that he had uh, deceived me. He'd gone to, and I was very unhappy. <laughs> but one of the things I've learned over life is in my unhappiness not to react too quickly. Take a breath. Take a step back, because when I usually do react at that moment, it's, uh, it's not good. So I took a step back, because what I've said over the years is, uh, your sin doesn't make my sin not sin. Okay, you can write that down somewhere, it's really good. Um, that if your sin and I respond in sin, my sin is still my sin. So I didn't want to respond badly. So I go upstairs. I'm trying to figure out, how am I going to handle this situation with my son? So um, he goes on to bed, and then about an hour later, um, he comes up, and he says to me, Hey, Dad, I, I, I can't sleep. Would you come downstairs and pray for me? <laughs> and I said, Sure. I was just going to figure out I was going to handle this situation the next day. So I go downstairs, 
And I'm like, what's wrong? He's like, I'm just having these thoughts, these dreams. I, 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 I just can't sleep. And so I say to him, are you afraid the boogeyman's going to get you? <laughs> the horror on his face was like, was like, how does he know? How does he know this? At that moment, uh, and I didn't tell him for years what had occurred. I wanted him to think that I was right below the omnipotent God. <laughs> but I prayed for him. But you know what? There's this, this, it gave me a great opportunity to say, hey, you deceived us. You went and did, the reason we don't want you to do this is because of this very moment, what it has done to your mind, what it has done to your soul, what it has done to you. This is not about you not having fun. This is about us saying, you know, it was, a, it was an opportunity to love and to teach. But it took him a number of nights to be able to go to sleep. Brokenness does that to us. It pierces what would have gone. Here's, here's a problem that many of us have. And I prayed for this for my children for years. Lord, I know my kids are going to sin. I know they are. But Lord, keep them on a short leash. When they do step out, Lord, snatch them back. Do something that will cause them to say, I'm not going to go any further. Because one of the greatest horrors of your life will be able to, I got away with it. I sinned. And then you do it again. I got away with it again. I got away with it again. And the next thing, you're down a road that will lead, could lead, to the very destruction of your life. Brokenness, pain, will wake us up from our slumber. Second point is this. Brokenness, brokenness will help, get, help us get to the true cause of our problems. Get, this is a really good point, by the way. Many of us define our problems as something that is a symptom, not the cause. Hello? We, we see a surface-level symptom, and we say, oh, this is the problem of my life. The problem in my life is finances. The problem in my life is this. The problem in my life is that. When the problem in your life is not that, the problem is sin. The issue is you're way off track. You're living in rebellion. But you don't want to call it that. Nobody does. Or the problem is that you're blaming somebody else for your problem. Hey, welcome to the USA. We're the country that easily blames everybody else for the problem that we're in rather than saying, I am the problem. Again, going back to my kids, one day two of my boys were fighting, and I'm like, oh, what's the problem? He's the problem. He's the problem. Do something with him. He's the problem. We're all like that. I'm not the problem. He's the problem. They're the problem. It's the problem. The government's the problem. No, sin is our problem. 
In his famous work, Whatever Became of Sin, Carl Menninger, Dr. Menninger writes this, I believe there is sin expressed in ways which cannot be subsumed under verbal artifacts such as crime, disease, delinquency, deviancy. By the way, all those things sound bad to me. He goes on and says, there is immorality, there is unethical behavior, there is wrongdoing, and there is usefulness in retaining this concept and indeed the word sin. Whatever became of sin? Many of us have not gotten to the root cause. Pastor Wilson Adams says, once again, we rush to treat the symptoms. Guns are the problems. Video games are the problems. Schools are the problems. Mental illness is the problem. As a result, we label, oversimplify, and go searching for Band-Aids. There is an underlying cause behind the symptoms. Lose respect for God. Sin. And lose your conscience. Lose your conscience and you lose your compass. Lose your compass and you lose your way. Lose your way and you lose your reason to live or for anyone else to live. We have lost our compass. Lamentations 1.20 says, See, O Lord, how distressed I am. I am in torment within, and in my heart I am disturbed, for I have been most rebellious. We are the problem, and we need to acknowledge the root cause of this problem. I'm not even, by the way, hello, I'm not even quoting the book of Romans yet. Right? Go look at Romans 1, 2, and 3. For the wages of sin is... Well, no one there wants to call sin, sin, because the wages of it, what we deserve is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. We'll get to that good news message. But all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. We need to, what brokenness will help us do at times is to call out our problem. To call sin, sin. There was a guy I used to listen to who, he, he, he became a preacher, but he used to be a carpet cleaner. Um, that he used to run business. He made a lot of money cleaning carpets, running this carpet cleaning business. And he used to talk, tell this story about he was training this young guy to clean carpets, and they went in, carpet got cleaned. This guy, the owner, follows up. He goes inside. He looks at the carpet, and there's dirt on the carpet. And he's like, this isn't done. So he calls the guy over and says, hey, what do, you, what do you see here? Well, it seems as if the carpet is not quite totally clean. He goes, no, 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 what do you see? Uh, I see that it could have been done a better job. And he's like, no, what do you see? And the guy goes, I, I, I'm sorry? And the owner goes, that is dirt. Dirt. Until you and I can both call dirt, dirt, we got a problem. Dirt. Dirt is dirt. I say this all the time. No one ever gets it because they don't know the story, but I always say dirt is dirt. You got to call sin for what it is. It's sin. We got to understand that the cause of our problems is we're not as good as we think we are. 
in his book, The Truth About Us, The Very Good News About How Very Bad We Are, which I think is a great title, Brand Hansen writes this, Dear everybody, we have a serious problem. All of us think we're good people, but Jesus says we're not. Our goodness is our biggest self-delusion, and all of us seem to be living with it. Jesus keeps emphasizing that all of us, without exception, need to repent and repudiate ourselves. We need to call dirt, dirt. And brokenness will, believe it or not, it will help us. I know, I know many of the stories in this room. And I'm not pointing fingers anywhere. But if we had woken up earlier, many of us, and if we had caused what we were going through, sin, sin, a lot of our lives would not have been shipwrecked. But it took brokenness in our lives for that to happen. And all of us, all of us at some level have been through it. Again, back to David and another psalm along the same lines, that great confession after his sin with Bathsheba. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. By the way, I think Uriah may have disagreed with him on this point. But David recognizes the root cause of what he did to Uriah. He recognizes that it was sin and it was done against God. He rebelled. God took a shepherd boy and made him king. God elevated him and was blessing the nation. And David took advantage of the very sheep that God had given him to protect. You talk about spiritual abuse. Political abuse. So that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Verses 16 and 17, he says, you do not delight in sacrifices or I would bring it. By the way, sometimes the easiest thing is to throw money at the problem. We in America, we love to do this. The easiest thing to try to soothe the conscience of our sin is not to acknowledge it as sin or brokenness, but rather let's shuffle money in that direction. David says, it's not the sacrifice. You don't take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifice of God or what? Broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. What is the advantage of brokenness? It wakes us up. It helps us realize what is the real problem. What is the root cause? Lament is the language of a soul awakened. Lament, crying out to God, is the language of repentance. Again, I, I, I'm probably going to do this same third point every single sermon. Because in chapter 3, the mercy of God 
stands out like a million-watt bulb in a stark and utter darkness. Brokenness will put you in a position to receive the mercy of God. Jesus came to seek the righteous? No. But to call who? The sinners to repentance. The problem with not understanding, not being awake, not knowing the cause of your problems is that you have no need of God because you are self-righteous. You are right in your own sight. You think, I'm so good I can get away with it. When God is saying, no, you are a, you're a broken vessel, but you need to know your brokenness, so I'm going to break you. Lamentations 1.12 says, It is nothing to you, all you who pass by. Look around and see. Is any suffering like my suffering that was inflicted on me that the Lord brought on me in the day of his fierce anger? He recognizes that this brokenness. By the way, is there anything about these verses that stand out to you? These verses are considered precursors of the cross. Language of the cross. Nothing like the suffering that our Lord endured for us. This idea, this truth that the mercy of God, brokenness. God didn't just say, I'm going to break you. He said, I'll break myself in order to save you. We don't have a God who doesn't experience brokenness. We have a God who put himself in the very position to be broken in ways that were so undeserved. For your sin and for mine. That's how much brokenness puts us in a position to receive the mercy of God. Without it, without the cross... Without brokenness? You know, there's this element of saying, yes, I, I, in my brokenness, I'm now, I'm now open to the mercy of God. But God in his brokenness took our sin upon himself so that our future with him could be secured. It's the gospel. It is the good news. That's why Jeremiah could say, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord, it never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. He, 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 here's the twofold, the two-pronged Thing I would like you to see today. One, God is and will use brokenness in your life in order to wake you up and in order to help you identify the nature of your sinfulness. That's one. Two, God is not so distant from you that he would not allow himself to be broken 
in order to have a relationship with you. When he says, my mercies are new every morning, it's because of what he has done for you. When he says, great is your faithfulness, it's because he is a God who cannot do anything else other than be faithful. We look at the holiness, the sovereignty, the righteousness, but please today also gaze on his mercy and his faithfulness. You are not so broken that God can't be faithful because his faithfulness exceeds your brokenness. His grace is greater than your sin. You may say, Pastor, you don't know. I've done some sinful things. We all have. Dirt's dirt. Just because your dirt patch is bigger or thicker than mine or the one next to you doesn't mean it's not dirt. Dirt is dirt. And God still, his blood makes you as white as snow. No matter the level of your sin. How do we respond to this kind of message? Here's what I'd like. Here's an idea this week. You may want to think about. I, I know what I'm about to propose to some of you seems like the most foreign thing ever. But just think about it maybe. In the middle of your brokenness, cry out to God and write your own lament. Just take a moment to write out in your brokenness your lament to God. And you would, might say, well, Pastor, what, what do I put in my lament? Thanks for asking. Here's a way to start. Acknowledge that we are all sinful and deserving of judgment. You may be like, not, I would rather just complain to God. <laughs> I understand. But start at the starting point, which is an acknowledgement of your problem. Do you know what? Your brokenness is not actually your problem. Call, your prob call the dirt for what it is. Sin is sin. Stop blaming others. Take personal responsibility for your sin. In your lament, just take a moment. And the, over and over again, the author of Lamentations is taking full responsibility for what they've done. I, I threw this in there, and you may um, say, well, well, that seems out of whack. Stop listening to false prophets. In chapter 2, verse 14, in Lamentations, um, Jeremiah says this, part of the problem that sustained you is that these voices came in and told you what you want to hear. False prophets. These prophetic voices came in and told you what you want to hear. Now, let me just say, if you're sitting there today and thinking, yeah, they need to stop listening to those false prophets, stop looking around, look inward. We all have the tendency to listen to the false prophets. I, I, I want to say, there are some prophets that we listen to that are secular in nature. There are some prophets that claim to be within the church that are simply tickling our ears. 
And it doesn't matter if you're on the right or left politically. They're going to tell you what you want to hear. Instead, bring yourself back to a God to say, God, here's my sin. Here's my position. Here's my brokenness, so to speak. And here's what I really deserve. Hello. This is a hard one. To say, you know what? I got what I deserved. That's what the author of Lamentations is saying. He's saying, I got exactly. I reaped. I sowed. Here I am. Actually, it's sowed and reaped, and here I am. Nobody wants to admit this, right? Hey, are you all still having fun uh, today? I know this is a heavy word. I know the weight of this message, but there has to be a position here that God is calling us to at some point. If you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you in your lament to repent, receive, and believe the gospel for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are a Christian, confess, agree with God, this is sin, dirt is dirt, and forsake it. Turn toward him and turn away. Again, I, I know that this is not a comprehensive, complete guide to working your way through brokenness. This won't answer every possible situation, but it will, I think, be helpful because do we recognize the world is broken? We do. Do we recognize that I am broken? I do. do. Do we believe in a God who is worthy to set us right? We do. Lord, we thank you this morning for your work in our lives. We recognize, O oh God, that you are greater than our sin. Lord, we recognize today that you can still do incredible things in our lives in the middle of our brokenness and that, God, you're using our, this brokenness for your purposes and ultimately our good. Lord, may we be awakened today. May we agree with you that our problem is sin. May we lean into the mercy of God. Lord, let that be our place today. God, we love you so much. Lord, for those who are hurting, because of sickness, for those who are under the weight of a burden, for those who are crying out to you about their future, healing and relationships, God, move among us today. As we, as we worship you, Lord, and declare your mercy and your worthiness, move among us.
of the tendency at times is to take this moment and to see it as kind of a throwaway moment, a closing, some sort of... Instead, I want to ask you to stand. Come on, just stand up with me. As the team sings this over us and as you join in in singing, just make your confession before the Lord. Lean into Him in the middle of your brokenness and in the world we live in. Declare that He is worthy. The Lamb is worthy to open the scroll, to, to break the seals, to release life and health and wholeness in you today.